remain standing now as we read together uh, these words uh, from the book of Acts uh, near the end uh, as Paul gives a speech on a ship that is about to sink. Let us hear these words together. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul then stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and thereby avoided this damage and loss. I urge you now to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For last night there stood by me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before the emperor, and indeed, God has granted safety to all those who are sailing with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told, but we will have to run aground on some island. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. It's main event time. He's a friend from work. Oh, come on. Uh, so we continue today our sermon series called Bible Heroes. Uh, we've been looking for several weeks at uh, characters in the Bible and, and how they're heroic, uh, how they really are heroes. We've been comparing them to, to modern-day uh, comic book heroes and what that has to teach us. And uh, today we look at Paul, and uh, Paul, I, I was thinking about his ministry, and, and I was trying to think of, of whom he might be compared, and, and, and I was thinking about this trailer uh, for the new Thor movie that I saw that's coming out, and I, I, I was thinking about what it was like uh, in this trailer for Thor. Um, this movie, uh, this new Thor movie, is um, a highly anticipated film about everything going wrong for a superhero. Uh, so what we see in the movie trailer, it hasn't even come out yet, but in the trailer, at the very beginning, uh, Paul, uh, uh, Thor loses his hammer, uh, loses the thing that gives him all this strength and power, and it's there that he's arrested uh, and thrown into this prison uh, where he's in this like, gladiator-like arena um, with his friend, right, with, with Hulk. Um, and, and, and he's left trying to figure out, like, what is he going to do now? And then what is life going to be like for a superhero for whom everything goes wrong? What, is, what does that look like? And, and I think there's a part of us uh, that, that kind of enjoys these kinds of movies, right? Where we have this, this superhero, somebody who's almost all-powerful, who has all this strength in the world, and, and for whom even this person things go wrong, right? Because we can kind of relate to that. You know, we all have the, those days, maybe even those mornings, where, you know, we, we wake up and, and, and our alarm didn't go off, and it's past the time that we normally get up, and, you know, we, we jump out of bed and are kind of like rushing around trying to get ready, Right. And, you know, and, and, and the kids are going crazy and, and, you know, nothing's going right. And, you know, we don't have like any clothes that like are look presentable to wear to work today. And, you know, and, 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 and our hair is like doing that that thing, you know, like that thing that you're trying to get ready and, and you're just like, this isn't working out, you know. And and um, well, some of you have that problem. But um, anyways, and, and like just things aren't going right. Like everything is going wrong on this day. Have you You've had that day, right, friends? Like, I'm not the only one. Zero. None of Yes, some of you have had that day. Okay, good. 
We're okay. That's 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 baseline. Okay, so we've had that day where nothing goes right on that day, right? But but maybe you just haven't had that day. Maybe you've had like days or or weeks or or maybe even months or years where where things just aren't working out the way you thought they would, right? You've made plans, you've made preparations, you've done all of these things, and just things aren't working out. Um, maybe it was a relationship you saw going differently. Maybe uh, your marriage or your friendships, that just things aren't working out. Or maybe it's, it's your job. You know, you, you, you made a lot of sacrifices to make this job happen, and now that you've gotten to this point, just things aren't going right. It's not the job you thought it was, and, you know, it's not the people you thought you would be working with, or something's going wrong, and, and, and things just aren't working out the way you planned. There's something in all of our lives. Things don't go the way we planned. Something goes wrong. And it's in those moments that I think we like to relate to these kind of movies where we have these characters, these powerful characters, where even for them, things go wrong. And I hope we find some strength and courage uh, that even uh, throughout the Bible, um, we read of many things going wrong. Even in the Bible, things go wrong consistently, right? We open up to the first book of the Bible, Genesis, actually means beginning, and, and we read in Genesis about things going wrong right? Uh, we read about the first humans. God puts them in, in, in the Garden of Eden, and, and, and God says, this is all for you, you know? Um, uh, you know, I, I've made everything for you, and, and just, you know, be fruitful and multiply and, and, and bless this world and, and do good things. There's only one thing, that the tree, right? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it has fruit on it. Don't eat it, you know? And, and what do the first humans do? But go and they find that fruit, and, and they eat it. And, and that's really an analogy for all of us, right? We're all told to do not do something, and it's the very thing we do, right? Paul writes about this in the book of Romans, and he says, you know, the very thing I, I, I don't want to do is the very thing that I do. Uh, and this is a story about how we all do that, right? So f- for even the first humans, things go wrong. It doesn't go the way they thought it would. Uh, we flip just a couple of chapters ahead, and we read about uh, the Tower of Babel, right? All uh, the humans get together and they say, you know what, we're pretty strong, we're pretty powerful. We could do some things on our own. In fact, we could do everything on our own. So, so let's build a tower. And they say, with its top in the heavens, we're going to build this tower and, and its top is going to reach the sky. And then when anybody else approaches us, when anybody else comes upon us, they will see this tower, the tallest structure that anybody has ever seen in the known world. They're going to see this tower and they're going to fear us because we are so powerful that we can do this thing. And God sees them and he says, you know, if they do that, if they actually complete this tower, they will, have no, they will think that they have no use of me. They will think that they don't need me, that they can do everything on their own. And so Scripture says God confused their language. Uh, this is actually the story of, of, of why we have many different languages. And, 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 and God you know, makes all these different languages, and they can't talk to each other. And, and the Tower of Babel gets left unbuilt, um, unfinished. And, and it's a story about how things went wrong. Things went differently than others thought they would. Uh, and again, we flipped ahead just a few chapters later, and we read about Abraham and Hagar. Um, we know about Abraham and Sarah. Uh, God promises to them that even in their old age, God will bring them a child. Um, uh, Sarah was barren. None of them had ever had any children. And, and God says, I'll, I'll bring you one. I'll give you one. And, and years pass, and, and they don't have this child. And Sarah looks at Abraham, and she says, well, maybe, it's, you know, maybe you're supposed to have this child that God promised with Hagar, my, my maidservant. So God didn't say anything about that. God didn't mention her, but, but maybe this is how it's supposed to happen. Um, and, and Abraham does, and they have his child, Ishmael. And, uh, and then Sarah gives birth to Isaac, and, and then there's all this fighting that happens within this family. And Hagar gets banished, and then she comes back, and all these bad things happen. Um, and, and all these things go wrong. And this is just in the book of Genesis, right? I mean, this is just in the first book of the Bible. Things continue to go wrong over and over and over again. And I hope we find some solace in that. That, that we're not alone. 
when things don't go the way we thought they would. But the good news, uh, at least about the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul's ministry is about how wrong things go right. Um, Paul is somebody uh, who really never should have even been on the radar screen of Christianity, at least not in a good way. Um, Never should have had the successful ministry that he did. Uh, In fact, all the signs are pointing the exact opposite direction. Um, What we learn uh, about Paul is that um, Paul's ministry begins in the wrong way um, as a man named Saul. Uh, That's what he was, the name he was given when he was born. Uh, Saul, uh, in case you're interested, was uh, the tribe of Benjamin, and uh, from whom the king, Saul, was a member of that tribe as well. And so Saul is actually named after him. And uh, he's given this name, and, and, and is actually, um, he, he, Scripture says, studies at the feet of Gamaliel, who, who uh, comes up in the Bible a couple of times. He is a really well-known uh, religious leader uh, in the time of Jesus, a, a Jewish leader. And, uh, and so Saul really has a successful ministry as kind of this religious leader or teacher. And, and we read about Saul for the first time in the book of Acts chapter 7. Uh, we read about him uh, during the stoning of Stephen, uh, the first Christian martyr, I would read these words, uh, that the religious leaders dragged Stephen out of the city and they began to stone him and the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he knelt down and cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he died and Saul proved their killing of him. Now, so Saul is, is this Jewish leader, and, um, and he's kind of a younger guy, and so he's trying to gain favor with all these other religious leaders, right? And, and so when it comes time to the stoning of Stephen, uh, what tradition holds is the first Christian martyr, and when it comes time to the stoning of Stephen, Stephen, you know, goes to the religious leader, he's like, here, let me hold your coats, right? Let me, let me take this for you, and, and he holds their coats, and, and then Scripture says that he approved their killing of him. Maybe he, he was even, like, cheering them on or giving them advice, you know, like, you know, like, throw, like, with your arm this way or something, I don't know, but he was cheering them on, right? And, and he approved, he approved their killing of him. This is the first time we read about Saul, who will later become known as Paul, because we read, in, again, in the book of Acts, that, that Saul begins to make a living on finding Christians, followers of what they called the way, uh, people who follow Jesus. He, he went and made his life finding Christians and bringing them before religious leaders and, 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 and Roman officials and having them tried and persecuted, maybe even, maybe even put to death, at least imprisoned, that, that this is how Saul made his living. And he heard about Christians living in Damascus, and so he starts to head out that way. And it's on this road that he's headed with, uh, with a couple of other people that Jesus, who's already been resurrected um, and, and ascended into heaven, meets Saul meets Saul. He reveals himself to him, and this bright light shines around Saul, and the two others who are with him can't see anything, and um, they, they, they don't see what Saul does, and this bright light shines around Saul, and he hears Jesus say those words, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul is struck blind by the light, and he's told to go into Damascus where he'll, he'll meet another uh, Christian, and this Christian will pray for him and regain his sight, and that's, in fact, exactly what happens. And it's in that moment that Saul is converted. He's no longer known as Saul. He's known as Paul. And he will now no longer persecute the Christian church, but he'll actually further it. He will actually spread the kingdom of God. But it's interesting. Uh, Saul is converted on the road to Damascus and immediately receives death threats. Immediately receives death threats. Uh, Just a couple of verses after Saul is converted, we read these words, that after some time had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. They plotted to kill Paul. And we read that and we say, yeah, but that happened for most Christians in the time. Most people wanted to kill them. But Saul, two chapters earlier, was holding their coats. 
right? Like, like two chapters earlier, he is spending his life trying to gain their favor. He, he is spending their life valuing their opinions, valuing what they think of him, valuing all the things that they have to say to him. And now these very people whom he considered his colleagues, he considered his friends, these are the people who want to kill him. And I wonder if in that moment, if in that moment as he starts to receive these death threats from people he knows, I wonder if in that moment he started to think, you know what, is this the right thing I'm supposed to do? Is this the right path for me? Is, it, is this it? Because all these people whom I've trusted now want me dead. Paul receives these death threats, and, and still he continues his ministry. And in fact, um, Paul actually continues his really successful ministry um, by, by most accounts. Uh, what we know is that at least um, 13 of the New Testament letters are actually written in his name. Uh, we say written in his name, not written by him, uh, because we n- believe that there are some letters uh, in the New Testament that are actually uh, attributed to him, uh, maybe by devotees or followers of Paul. Um, this was very popular for the time, that, that if you were uh, studying under a certain scholar or rabbi, if you were studying under a certain person when you wrote letters to encourage other people, you might actually write in, in their name uh, to actually give kind of like honor to that person. And so we think that there are actually some letters that are written this way, but they're still attributed to him. Uh, And so 13 of the the, uh, New Testament letters are written uh, in Saul's name. And uh, and what we also know is that Paul started 14 churches. He he planted churches. He he spent his life, um, he made three different missionary journeys throughout the known world, um, going and starting churches, finding people in those towns and, and, and helping them start churches and lead those churches. And then he'd go off and he'd do it again. And he kept doing this over and over and over again, 14 churches. And these 14 churches went and started other churches and did more ministry. And so we start to see that Paul's ministry is really pervasive, that, that without Paul, we might not be here today because Paul had this incredible ministry, incredible ministry that all started in the wrong way that all had these moments where, where things seemed to really go wrong for him, that things didn't go maybe the way he planned. And, and in fact, this happens even um, at the end of his ministry, at the end of Paul's ministry. Um, his life takes a turn for the worse. Uh, Paul takes these three different missionary journeys uh, throughout the known world, and, and it comes to the end of his ministry, and he feels the Holy Spirit calling him to go back in Jerusalem. There's a church in Jerusalem, that is, that is really being persecuted at the time, and it's considered one of like the first churches. And so Paul spends his, uh, a lot of his ministry collecting money at different churches throughout the world to take back to Jerusalem to help support that church. And so he does this. He goes to different churches, and he, and he collects money, and, and he has uh, people from those different churches, and he's going to head back to Jerusalem to support the church in Jerusalem. And, and, and he tells all these churches that he's stopping at, I'm, I'm going back to Jerusalem, maybe even for the last time. And they, and they say, don't do it. You know, don't go back because they want to kill you, that you might die there. This happens over and over and over again, and Paul says, no, like, I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to go back. Can you imagine? Like, Paul has spent his life with these people, and he's helped them start churches and do incredible ministry with these people, and, and, and even these people for whom he loves and cares for them, even these people are telling him to go back, and Paul says, no, I feel called by the Holy Spirit to go and do this thing. What would be that thing in our life? What would be that thing in our life that that we feel called by the Holy Spirit to do despite what anybody might think about it? Even the people whom we love the most. 
what is that thing in our life or, or what would be that thing or, or is the Holy Spirit calling you to do something? Is the Holy Spirit calling you to do something that might contradict reason and contradict what everyone else tells us? Do we even have the strength to listen to that voice? Paul did. And so he goes to all of these churches and he tells them, I'm heading back. And they say, don't go. And he says, I have to. I'm, I'm called by the Holy Spirit to. And so he heads back to Jerusalem and, and it's there that he's arrested. And we read about why he's arrested in Acts 27. And I, I love this passage. Um, he's arrested. It says that seven days pass and uh, Jews from Asia who had seen Paul in the temple stirred up the whole crowd and they seized him shouting, fellow Israelites, help This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against our people, our law in this place. More than that, he has actually brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. Now, Paul goes to Jerusalem, considered one of the most holy places in the entire world. He goes to Jerusalem, and he goes to the temple, one of the holiest places, and he brings Greeks with him. Now, uh, Greeks were also called Hellenists in this time, and, and, and the Greek culture in this time uh, was really kind of contradicting the, the Jewish culture. The, the, the Greek culture was that thing that was encroaching upon our culture, right? Greeks were those other people. Greeks were those people um, that, that were considered on the outside of us. They're different from us. They, they do things differently than us. They look different than us. Uh, when we get together with our friends and our family, we talk about them, right? You have, oh, come on, you have those people, right? They, we, we, we talk about them, and, and we, you know, turn up our noses, and we make faces, and we do all these things about those other people. That was the Greeks. And Paul goes to Jerusalem, one of the most holy places in the world, and he, and he, and he goes, and he finds Greeks, and he brings them to the temple, and not just to the temple, but he brings them before the Holy of Holies, considered one of the holiest sites on earth, and, and he brought them to this place that almost nobody was allowed. In fact, Jewish men were allowed there, and only if they had practiced all these purification rituals, all of these things that they had to do to be able to be presented before the Holy of Holies, and Paul goes and he gets Greeks, those people on the outside, and he brings them before the Holy of Holies, before God himself, because he says, Christ came and he died, not just for us, but for each and every person, even these people. Friends, we're going to get together with some friends or family maybe this week, and, and, and those conversations are going to start to happen, and, and, and eventually somebody's going to talk about those people, right? Th- th- those other people. I hope we remember that Christ died for them. that we're going to get together with our friends and our family and, and, and we're going to get together and conversations are going to happen and we're going to start thinking about those other people who, who act and look differently than us, who do things differently than us, who live differently than us, who, who live in different places than us. We're going to start talking about those people and I hope we remember that, that Paul went and grabbed those people and brought them before the Holy of Holies to prove that Christ died for them. That when Jesus came to this earth, Right? When, when Jesus, God himself, God with skin on, the word made flesh, when, when Jesus came to this earth, he didn't come and hang out with us. Right? He didn't come and hang out with the people who, you know, the people who come to church on 4th of July weekend. Right? Way to go, church. You made it. You did it. A plus today. But Jesus didn't come and spend time with us. He came and he went and he found all the people who had been pushed to the margins of society, the people who the religious people didn't like. 
Jesus came and did his ministry with them. Paul went and he grabbed those people and he brought them into the church. He brought them into the temple before the Holy of Holies. He said, Christ died for them and it's that reason that he's arrested. He's arrested and led toward his death. Uh, Paul is arrested, and, and he's put in prison in Caesarea, and he's left there for a while until a new governor comes in and, and re-looks at his case. And, and it's in that time, uh, after two years in prison in Caesarea, that Paul is granted a hearing before Caesar in Rome. And um, Paul's a Roman citizen, and he has a right, uh, according to Roman law, that any Roman citizen who's in prison has a right to be heard by the emperor of Rome. And Paul knows this, and so he says, you know, this is my last effort, unless I'm going to die in this prison in Caesarea, I better be heard um, in, in Rome. And, and so he prepares on this journey. I've been talking about Paul's three missionary journeys. Um, it looks a little bit like this. Uh, you can see over here, if, if you can kind of see this, you see these, all these lines over here next to land, right? These are, are Paul's missionary journeys. And notice they're all right next to land because ships weren't that big in Paul's time. And people were afraid of, of, of the sea, of the ocean, and, and, and so they stayed close to land. Because if, if a storm came... Um, either we could avoid it by staying close to land, or if the storm did come upon us, we could, you know, duck in the land really quickly. And so Paul's ministry stayed kind of hugging the shore until it came time for uh, Paul to go to Rome, um, from Caesarea to Rome. Um, Caesarea is right here. Rome is all the way on the other side of the Mediterranean Sea over here. And so you can see this green line. Paul hugs the land a little bit, stops in Crete, and then heads across the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And it's in this moment that a storm comes upon the ship. And it's not just a little storm that lasts a couple of hours. It's a storm that lasts many days. And we read all about it in the book of Acts, about what happened in the storm. The writer says, We were being pounded by the storm so violently that on the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. They're in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And they start throwing cargo overboard. All the stuff that's meant to last us the rest of this trip, they start to throw that overboard and then a chance to save their lives. And then on the third day, with their own hands, they threw the ship's tackle overboard. The stuff that's meant to last us after the stuff that lasts us doesn't last us, right? This is the last ditch effort. This is the break in, break in case of emergency. And even that they took and they threw it, threw it overboard. And when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest raged, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. All hope of our being saved is at last abandoned. Friends, we've had those times in our lives. Right? You've had that time in your life where you threw the cargo overboard. You've had that time in your life where, where you made plans and preparations and none of those went according to the way you thought it would and you started to abandon. Right? You started to, to throw all the stuff that you knew out the window. You started to, to, to abandon it all until finally all you were left with was hope. All you were left with was hope, and even that you threw overboard. They're out in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. They have nothing left until finally they lose all their hope. Each and every person on that ship loses hope except for Paul, whose ministry began the wrong way, whose life took several wrong turns, whose ministry didn't work out the way he thought it would. Paul keeps on hoping. And he says those words that we read just a little while earlier. He stood among them after they hadn't eaten for a long time. And he says, man, you should have listened to me and not stopped at Crete and avoided this damage. But he says, I urge you now to keep your courage. 
For there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. He says, so keep your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told, but we will have to run aground on some island. Now, they're in the middle of the sea. A storm has been rocking the ship for several days. They haven't eaten. Paul is headed to Rome where he would be heard by, by the emperor of Rome. And, and if that doesn't go well, he'd be put to death, which eventually happens. And even in that moment, Paul can hold on to hope. Because he believes in something greater. Because he believes in the power of Jesus Christ. Paul is able to stand up on the ship and he says, all of us will save our lives. We, none of us will die on this ship. But, he says... But this ship will run aground on some island. But, he says, it's going to get worse before it gets better. He says, we will make it, but this ship will not. Paul is able to hold on to hope. And I believe, friends, that that when we hold on to hope in the most hopeless situations, only then can can we celebrate that we've actually relied on God. Because truth be told, there are a lot of things that we can do on our own. Right? There are a lot of things that, that we have enough money, we have enough resources, we have the, the house, the car, the family. We have enough to do these things on our own, friends. There are a lot of things that we can do on our own, but what would it be like if we prayed and we asked God, what is the thing that only you can do through me? What is the thing that only you can do through me? And can we have hope in that situation? Can we have hope in that situation? That's my prayer for each of us. This week and throughout the rest of our lives is that, first of all, that we would do something risky. That, that, that we would ask God what He only has the power to do through us. That we could never do on our own. And we would do that thing and others would look at it and call it a risk. They would say that we are crazy, that, that, that we would say that this thing could never be done, that, that we would take a risk in our life, that we would trust God, that we would trust the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, that we would do something risky, and that when that thing goes wrong or when something else goes wrong, that we would celebrate that we are in good company. Amen? Oh, come on, friends. That, we, that when things go wrong in our life, that we would celebrate that we are in good company. Amen? Amen. Amen. Right? That when things go wrong in our life, that we would celebrate the fact that, that it's not just us. That in fact, there's also probably some brothers and sisters here who things have gone wrong for, and not just us, but, but an entire tradition of people going back all the way to the book of Genesis for whom things have gone very wrong. And there's hope in that, friends. There's fellowship in that. There's community in that. There's church in that. We would celebrate that. And finally we would have the strength and courage to get up and try again. Because the only way we fail is if we never try. I ask this for you. Um, I I don't know if you um, remember, um, but... uh, in, in the 1990s, uh, Mike Tyson was an incredible boxer, right? And um, 
in, in, in the 1990s, Mike Tyson was an incredible boxer. In fact, um, in, in February of 1990, Mike Tyson at that time held three world championships. He was the undisputed champion. He had actually never been uh, knocked down in a fight, let alone knocked out. He had won every fight he ever had. He had zero losses. And, and it came time for him to fight um, Vander Holyfield. Um, but somehow um, this other fight happened. That, that he was supposed to fight Evander Holyfield a little bit later, and somehow this other fight got thrown in there uh, where uh, Mike Tyson fought a man named James Douglas on February 11th, 1990. Um, again, this was a fight that wasn't supposed to happen. Uh, James Douglas uh, w- was a pretty good boxer in his time, but still, at the time of this fight, Douglas was the underdog um, at, at 42 to 1 odds. 42 to 1 odds, and, and, and uh, so this fight kind of gets thrown in there, and, and James Douglas is getting ready, and, and all the while, uh, Douglas's mom, who owns a salon, is talking about the fight, and, and, uh, and, and she's talking it up, and, and she's telling everybody who comes into the salon, did you know that my son is going to beat Mike Tyson, right? Did, did you know that, that my son on February 11th is going gonna, is gonna to beat him? She's gonna, he's going to knock out Mike Tyson, and, and Douglas is talking to his mom, and he's like, mom, like, chill out, right? You know, um, mom, like, like, this is Mike Tyson, you know, I, I, I don't know what you think is going to happen, but, but he's never been knocked down. In fact, at this time, Mike Tyson has knocked most people out in the first three rounds. In fact, nobody has made it with Mike Tyson past five rounds. And Douglas looked at his mom and said, Mom, it's not going to happen. Two days before the fight, James's mom dies in a car wreck. And Douglas starts to wonder whether or not he's even going to have this fight. Later, he, he eventually decides that he will. And it comes time to fight Mike Tyson. And, um, most uh, people uh, get knocked out in the first three rounds of Mike Tyson. So the, the first round comes and it goes, and the second round comes and it goes, and the third round comes and it goes, and Douglas makes it past into the fourth round, uh, past the point that most people have made it with Mike Tyson. And so the fourth round comes and it goes. The fifth round comes and it goes. Nobody has ever made it past the fifth round with with Mike Tyson, and Douglas is still standing even at the sixth round. At the sixth round, Douglas is still in it, and and, and the announcers don't really know what to do at this point, and they're they're talking about it, and really, this is uncharted waters, uncharted territory for anybody who's ever fought Mike Tyson, and the sixth round comes and it goes. The the seventh round comes and it goes. Nobody's ever made it past this point, and and the eighth round, and in the eighth round, as they're fighting, Mike Tyson throws an uppercut, and and it lands on, on Mike Douglas, and Douglas is knocked out. He falls flat on his back. Douglas falls flat on his back, and the count starts to happen. One, two, three. He, he gets to six, seven, eight, and then finally nine. Douglas stands up by a miracle. Douglas stands up, and he starts to head back towards Mike Tyson, his knees a little wobbly. And again, by some miracle, the bell rings. And it was the end of the eighth round. The end of, of, the, of the eighth round. Nobody's ever made it to this point. The ninth round comes, and it goes. And in the 10th round, Douglas knocks Mike Tyson out. 
Douglas Mark knocks Mike Tyson out in the 10th round. No one's ever seen this before. Mike Tyson has never been knocked down in a fight, let alone knocked out. He's knocked most people out in the first three rounds. Nobody's ever made it past five. Douglas, in the 10th round, knocks Mike Tyson out. Here's what Douglas learned that most fighters would come to realize is that when it came time to fight Mike Tyson... Uh, Mike Tyson was not a a finesse fighter. He was not somebody who dipped and dodged a lot. He he was not somebody who moved around a bunch. Mike Tyson was a heavy hitter. He punched really hard. But what Douglas found out is that all you had to do was outlast Mike Tyson. All you had to do was last in the ring with Mike Tyson for five rounds. And if you could take five rounds, you could beat him. And Douglas gets to the 10th round with Mike Tyson. He knocks him out and the announcers come and they talk to him and they say, how were you ever able to beat Mike Tyson, the undisputed champion of the world? How were you ever able to beat him? And he said, because my mom believed I could. Friends, there are things going on in your life. There are things going on in all of our lives. Friends, that all we have to do is last. All we have to do is last. And now what I'm not asking you to do is, is, is stay in an abusive relationship or something that makes you feel less than what you are. But what I am saying is that there are some things in our life that all we have to do is just stay in there. Just stay standing. Friends, if we can make it past the fifth round, there are things in our life that all we have to do is just pray and hope that all we have to do, that if we are standing on a ship deserted in the Mediterranean Sea when all hope is lost, when all the cargo has been thrown overboard. Friends, that there is someone who believes in us. Even when we don't believe in ourselves, there is someone who believes in us. My hope and my prayer for us is that we would be able to last when no one else is holding on to hope, when even we're at 42 to 1 odds, friends, when there seems to be no possible way of outlasting friends, that we would have the hope to last. Because what is the story of the resurrection? The crucifixion of Christ. That What is the story of the crucifixion, if not a story about lasting, that all we had to do was wait for three days? All we had to do is wait for three days to prove that God, even in the midst of death, can bring life. Even in the midst of the most hopeless situation can bring out hope, friends. That's the story that we live. I hope you have the power to last. Let us pray. God, I thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you would send it now, that that in these moments, even in the midst of the storm, even in the worst possible pain that we could ever imagine, God, that we would have the power to last. God, that we we would have the power to stay in it. God, please send us that strength that only you have, God, that thing that only you can do through us. I pray for it, Lord. I pray for each and every one of us. And I pray that in this time now, God, that that you would give us the strength of Jesus Christ. That you would give us the power to keep going. We thank you for the gift of Jesus who came and taught us even how to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, 
thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.